0: Welcome to Equasport Radio, your VIP path to the world of horse racing. Down the stretch they come! Cat thieves digging in at the rails! Best ballsmen take you inside the gate, behind the scenes, to the heart of horse racing. Equasport Radio, get tied on.
1: Featherbox comes out first, but Hennessy broke alertly as well, and Hennessy goes right to the lead. Diligence will press the pace, and Unbridled Song is there too. Maria's Man keyed up today; he's now fourth on the outside. Featherbox is fifth, followed by Sir Cat. Four legs back to the trailers, Gold Fever and Devil's Honor up the backstretch, and Unbridled Song. Mike Smith lets him roll, and with his unbridled speed, he runs a sparkling first quarter in 22 and three. And Unbridled Song. Oh, Opens up by five and a half lengths. A very ambitious move there. Diligence is second on the outside. Hennessy is third. Seven lengths behind Unbridled Song. Sircat is fourth with five prolongs to go. Maria's Mon is settled down now. Ten lengths from the lead. Followed by Featherbox. Three lengths to Gold Fever Devil's Honor at the back of the pack. Unbridled Song has drilled an opening half mile in 45 and 2 two fifth seconds. It was fast. Perhaps it was too fast because they're closing in now. Here comes Hennessy, the favorite, moving through an opening on the inside. Diligence is right there. Maria's Mon is fourth and strong and coming as they make the turn to the top of the stretch. The field coming past the quarter pole. Hennessy has seized the lead. Maria's Mon sweeping wide. Diligence right there. Unbridled song is game in between horses. Those four coming to mid stretch together. Maria's Mon under Robbie Davis going to work and has taken the lead at the eighth pole. Diligence is second. Unbridled Song is third. Hennessy has faded to fourth. Devil's Honor is fifth. But it will be Maria's Mon who will come on to win it. Robbie Davis gives him a little tap to say well done. And well done indeed. He wins by four. Diligence was second. There's a four-way photo. Four third. Unbridled Song set a totally ridiculous pace for this distance here. And he ran very well to finish uh, about five or six lengths behind Maria's Mon.
2: Welcome to the EquiSport Radio Network, and uh, this afternoon we've got two very, very interesting guests. One guy, an Ivy Leaguer who uh, winds up in a barn, and we're going to talk about that, and then a guy who's just been creating all kinds of stuff uh, in the industry, Dan uh, Torchman, who's with America's Best Racing and uh, the one of the founders of something called Equestracon, and we'll be talking to him in just a few minutes. But first, uh, we've got Rick's Shotsberg on the line. Rick, how are you?
0: I'm good. Let, let me just let me just clarify something. You did say went from Ivy League to a barn and not a bar, right?
2: Uh you know, actually let me check the script. No, it's a barn. Well <laughs> <laughs> some okay, of the guys yes, that I, we I, usually I, know, I'm surprised you didn't wind up in the barn. <laughs>
0: Well, I tell you what, I spent 4 years up at Cornell and a lot of those years were were in a barn up there. So, uh
2: it it wasn't it was a pretty seamless transaction. Transition yep. should I say? But your family was in the horse business, you know, and I guess that was in the back of your mind when you went to up to Ithaca.
0: Uh, yeah, my family still is in the horse business. We still, uh, we still breed. Uh, my mom and dad still have a small farm up in New York and we, um uh, we still have a, we have a couple of brood mares that are, uh, actually right now they're down in Kentucky and, uh, we've been, uh, you know, we've been in the racing business since oh, geez, the early, mid seventies.
2: And, you know, back in oh about nineteen ninety. A couple of years after you started training, because you started training in, I guess, '88, right?
0: Yes, that's correct. We ran our first horse in 1988, and uh, that horse is is a good lead in to, to the segment here because he, he's he was my very first retired aftercare uh, horse, and I'm and I bought a piece of property here on Long Island specifically so he could have uh, have the good life retired from after after running 99 times.
2: Wow. First of all, it's a testament to both you and he that you were able to get to the post 99 times. Yeah, that that takes a lot of work on both of your parts. Uh, What was that horse's name?
0: His name was Three Chopped Road, and uh, we, we won with him the first time we ran him at Belmont Park. Jerry Bailey rode him for us. It was in the pouring rain. And uh, it was my wife and I, uh, and my mom and dad in the winter circle, and Jerry Bailey and this uh, four-year-old gray horse who, who lived till he was 18, and uh, nine of those 18 years he, he spent here with me uh, in a paddock and doing some some uh, hunt trials across the street, and uh, and and had lived a good life, and he, he provided us with a terrific racing career. Uh, he didn't win a lot of races. He only won six races, but he was second 25 times. So he was he was kind of known more for the bottom bottom part of the exacta. And every jock that had ridden him, from Mike Smith to Jerry Bailey to Julie Crone and Eddie Maple, and you know more more there were there were more exacta finishes than wins. But it was a lot of fun, and it started it started my career and got us uh, got us up and running a long time ago.
2: One of the things I've noticed about you as a trainer is that you are able to keep your horses going year in and year out and you know that 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 takes a certain skill what what do you think attributes to that
0: well i don't know skill or necessity uh we we don't have a lot of turnover with with our inventory anymore we're we're in, in the age, and believe me, this is this is no slight against the big trainers in the country. And my, believe me, my hats off to them to be able to run a an outfit with that many horses and and and, and a business model with with the right personnel in place. But I, I always wanted to be not a boutique type trainer, but I did want to be a hands-on type trainer. So I never had more than thirty horses, and uh, right now we're 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 under twenty. Uh, you know, and, uh, so it's kind of by necessity, you gotta be very careful, pick your spots and try and keep them sound and, and get real lucky along the way. And, uh, but you know, uh, it, it, it it's, you know, it's, it's more of a tribute to the horses that, that we've gotten. We've got some, we've had some terrific owners and, uh, all along the way we've, we've, taken some very modestly bred horses and uh, and ended up at the, at the pinnacle of racing uh, at several times. And we, we ended up with one Eclipse Award winner, Maria's Mon, which is probably our, our most famous horse besides maybe uh, a firm success who was our most accomplished because he ran until he was nine years old and won a grade one at eight. And he won a grade three at nine years old before he retired. And he's 23 years old and he's living the life of old friends down with Michael Blowen.
2: Which is, which is phenomenal. Actually, I was looking at a firm success record the other day, and I had to double check because it looked like they had reprinted the, the years. You know, he had won the same races, you know, year in and year out. And, and that that's, that's, is that's a lot about both of you. You know, back in, I was about to say, back in 1990, a guy that we both know, Aaron Cohen, said to me, yeah. you got to watch out, watch this guy, Rick. He's really on top of... His barn because at that time I was training and selling a bunch of horses and Aaron and I yeah. did a lot of business and you know We would always talk who can you buy from who can you not buy from you know? Who's going to treat their horses decent? So if you buy from them, you're not you know, the bar of soap isn't completely used up and mm-hmm. You know, he, he had mentioned to you at that point. So over the years you know, I've been watching you and it, I got to tell you as a horseman. It's a pleasure to see a guy Take horses. And in many cases, you bought these horses yourself out of the sale, and keep them running and, and being successful with them.
0: Well, yeah, like I said, we've been we've been lucky, and I've been I've had a great you know great group of clients, and and right now we have a real nice little. uh about a twelve person syndicate with Clear Star's stable. He's a good friend of mine that, that that is the syndicate manager. We work together all the time. We enjoy the same things. Uh, we're the same age and uh we put this together about eight or nine years ago, and we've come up with some pretty nice horses along the way, a nice filly named my four Chicks is a stakes winner, and you know the old hard knocking horse named Sandy Slew, who's seven years old now, but you know we we've we've managed him so that you know he doesn't run as many ra that many races every year, but we're trying to make him make him count, and we can give him a break. Um, and we go to the sales and buy a few. And we've claimed uh, we've claimed that we have a horse in you know, on Friday that looks like he's 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 been a pretty nice claim for us. Uh, he's coming off a win, a second, and a third since claim, and and he looks like he's got some some upward mobility. But again, and I, I got a good crew. I got guys. My grooms have been with me for oh probably at least ten years, and some of them twenty. And uh, you know. <laughs> You know, they kind of anticipate everything. Uh, from my standpoint, again, we're we're we're, we're a very uh, size. Uh, sure, we could use we could use a couple more horses during the year. Sometimes we fluctuate, but uh, on our numbers. But um, you know, and I'm not going to take I'm not going to take one tenth of the credit for for the success that we've had at any point during the. During my almost 30 years of training, I uh, I did. Uh, I, there's a lot of people that, that really helped us out along the way. For sure, it's a team effort, and I don't I don't, uh, I, I, I don't want to stand in the like and take 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 the credit for that. I think we've just been surrounded by good, pretty nice horses, and uh, and it's it's worked out very very well. You know, it's fluctuated. It's gone up and it's down, and uh, you try. You know, you always look for that next crest. You know, if you're down in a trough. So, but uh, it's 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 a it's a wonderful sport. And uh, lately, I've got into the aftercare part of it through through our Horsemen's organization. I think that's been so gratifying and and, uh, really opened up new avenues for you know as aftercare has gotten to be you know at the forefront of racing. Really, it was. there's a need for it, and there's demand for it, and we have a great, great industry that's starting to feed into it, both financially and and policy-wise too. And I think that's terrific.
2: Yeah, and it's it's great that you and the Horsemen's Association in New York, and and you guys have always been at the cutting edge of, you know, not only aftercare but backside care. Tell, tell us yeah. a little bit about the association and how you guys developed Take Two and a little bit about that program. Sure. Well, the,
0: the architect behind uh, Take Two and Take the Lead, which are t- two two uh, separate parts of the same program, and I'll and I'll I'll try and explain sure. that. But Rick Violet is the brains, and uh, I was very lucky enough. Uh, to have come on the board just as these programs were in their inception. And as we were gathering together as a new board of directors for NIFA, uh, we, uh, you know, he we said, we're starting a new aftercare program. Uh, would you like to be chairman of the aftercare program and help us out along the way? and you know be members or chairman of, of other of other committees but uh when he asked me about aftercare it fit like a glove uh because my whole life has been both racing and retiring uh racehorses either on my own place or to other other people's and and uh, i started out in the horse show business much like he did and um so when he asked me to take take that role uh, I, I was, I was thrilled. I was also, that he didn't have the role of chairman of the Workman's Compensation Committee because that's the whole other ball of wax. I got the, I got the really good feel good, uh, subject in the, the backstage committee and I lo- and the legislative stuff too. I like to, but, uh, aftercare has been, been, uh, been a real subject that, that's close to my heart. And, uh, so when we, he explained the idea of, of take two and take the lead. As the TAA, the National Thoroughbred uh, Aftercare Alliance, was been getting getting uh, getting on its feet, uh, I think the timing was great. And like you said before, I'll use your words, NIPA has always been on the cutting edge with regards to policy and protection of the horse racing industry, uh, not only in New York, especially in New York, but Rick's also the president of the National PHA, and uh, working with the other organizations under the THA banner has been has been terrific. But to get back to take the lead and take two, take two is the encompassing name of the organization. Uh, but what take two is is a thoroughbreds only uh hunter jumper show program and uh rick and uh andy belfiore who's our executive director along with uh, a ton of help from adele einhorners from skidmore um and, and working with thoroughbreds transitioning to uh to hunter jumpers they started this uh this take two program and it has grown in leaps and bounds and we're covering the take two program is just for thoroughbreds and it's a it's a hundred or a jumper course there's prize money uh, upwards of $150,000 now and um, we started a league a take two league and we're in 30 different states and it's really really grown and I think what that's done is create a demand that had waned for a long time for thoroughbreds to get back into the equestrian show horse uh, industry. Uh, it kind of waned a little bit. The warm bloods came in and people kind of liked them, but the athleticism and the, the, the ability to learn and relearn that the thoroughbreds uh, have innately, I think makes it has created this demand back into this. Thing. And this has been a terrific, terrific program. And um, just a just to, I was just at the IFAR content, uh, 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 um, in DC, which is the international forum on Care versus which, which encompass the UK and Japan and Australia and, and Europe and, and, uh, and, and just to go, just to show you the uh, thoroughbred finished six uh, in the, in the three days. It's amazing. This is an ex horse that couldn't break his maiden and, and he's being ridden by a gold medal uh, number, but his performance was outstanding and it was meant him to uh, um, The lead program is. And uh, what that, with the Take the Lead program is, it's like a, it's like a, a, too, but what we do is we provide service for the trainers and the owners on the backstretch that have horses that are reaching the end of their uh, racing career. And so they'll, will reach out, it was through either a, you know, that they, they've just gotten non-competitive or they started out non-competitive or, you know possible injuries and, and uh, things like that. And they'll reach out to either me or to Andy uh, or go through the, the website, the the website on the aftercare uh, icon and reach out to us. And uh, what we'll do is we'll provide the service of, of getting their accredited facility for rehabilitation, retraining, rehoming, and facilities. And we only use uh, the accredited facilities with a TAA. A lot of them uh, go to new vocations, which has several venues, uh, in Kentucky, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and New York. Uh, Rerun has opened up a fantastic facility uh, just south and west of uh, Saratoga, which is wonderful for us because – the transportation is very easy uh, for us, and they get to these accredited facilities, and under the bylaws of the TAA, and uh, to get accredited by the TAA is a very, very, very tough uh, accreditation process. There's, there's, there's several, uh, there, there's several on-site inspections. There's several. Uh, financial inspections with regards to getting your accreditation as being a 501c3 for a number of years, being in the business of aftercare and rehoming for a certain amount of years before you can get your accreditation and be eligible for this thoroughbred retirement nationwide pension plan. And the Take a Lead program provides a comprehensive vet uh, examination. The vets have been fantastic for us. Uh, they'll come and do a do a soundness examination. X-rays and ultrasounds, with permission of the owner or the trainer, get and if if there's any questions on them, we'll send them to the aftercare facility or to a surgeon or another veterinarian for a different set of eyes to see. You know, basically what we want to do is uh, find out how much rehabilitation would be required uh, if a horse had a certain injury or a strain or a tear. Um, And just their best estimate, the committee of veterinarians will explain that to the aftercare facility so that when a horse gets to the aftercare facility and we provide the transportation through take the leads, we don't want the owners, the the onus isn't on the owners to, to provide the transportation, we'll do that. Um, so when the horse gets to the facility, they know exactly what they're getting. We'll send them videos along with the x-rays and the comprehensive diagnostic and, prog- and, and prognosis on on any injuries. And sometimes we retire perfectly sound horses that are just non-competitive and that's great. They can go right into retraining.
2: No, it's a great program. Matter of fact, I was at Florida Track the other day, which is the program here, down here in South Florida and you know the the quality of the work and that that's one of the things that has impressed me having been in the business for so many years you know when we first started horses that were finished at the track you you had no idea where they were going and if you bumped into them quite often you were scared to death to see them and uh this the way these horses are being taken care of at these facilities and and the flesh that they're carrying it's it's great to see, and and those people that are doing the work, you know, many on on a volunteer basis, you know, just phenomenal. You know, it, it's it's ab- great to see,
0: and that that's absolutely like you, you, people will will congratulate, thank us for the work that we do, and I say we're we're we have the easy part, okay. M- my only request to the to train be you know, before that last race, you know. Let's you know. We're here. we're here for you guys but let's easiest on the horse to transition and easiest on the people that are taking care of them because these guys work like you said a lot of them on voluntary basis they're on you know funds that are either through the ta uh, you know and it's it, they're doing it out of well to the animal. And when you go onto their websites, and you can go into A- through through TAA, you can look at any any one of the the sixty nine I think the sixty nine accredited facilities, and click on click on their their inventory of horses that are that are uh, up for adoption. The horses look incredible, and I, believe me, I know we're in New York, and these horses are taken care of, like like. I can tell you, when they get to these is learning some uh, a, a new a new job. They lighten up and they look inc- Lighten up, bright wise, not not flesh wise, right. but they look incredible, and and they really are the unsung heroes. Are, are the people that work in in the trenches at these aftercare facilities? I think. I think Anna Ford's done a tremendous job with all of her facilities and all of the people that that run each individual one and lisa malloy up at up at rerun and and uh, we we work with the folks at Aikendale which have which they're transitioning into into more of a adopt out type situation and through their accreditation and we have a woman down in we have a woman down in Virginia warhorse at old Bob Bower, she She'll, she'll take any horse that's over eight years old. It's just, that's her thing. If we get an eight-year-old gelding that looks like he, she, absolutely, we call her up. Her name's Barbara Luna. She's done a tremendous job. But she just wants the older gelding. And she, We sent her a couple of horses over the last few months, and she's really done a wonderful job with those. And uh, it's just a really great program. Um, and and we, the, the, the issue is, that there's there's a couple of issues with, with aftercare across the country, and it's some of the things that we discussed at the IFAR uh, symposium. One of them is is recognition and getting the word out. Um, even on a small venue basis, it, racetrack by racetrack, you you got to get your program out there. Known. We're in the condition book. We're on the website. We have notices up all over the place. Word of mouth spreads like wildfire. Uh, if Somebody has a horse that they they think maybe heading in that direction. They, uh, they text me, they call me, they email me. They call Andy. Uh, we now have an intern that's working in our office, helping with some of the paperwork. So everybody has contact information, um, and not that they have to go through us. I mean, if they want to go directly to an aftercare facility, that's that's fine. The, the, there's no saying that they have to come through us. We're just providing. But at least you're clearing heads
2: because most people don't yeah. know.
0: Yeah, exactly. We get, you got to get the word out and most of them will come through us. And some people may go direct, may have contact information. Some owners may have contact, you know, maybe they're, they're part of the fundraising team at, at, at new vocations or something like that. And they automatically get their stuff done and they'll provide their own transportation or they'll pay for their own transportation and do their own thing. But we, we've averaged over seventy seventy five 75 horses, I think over the since its inception per year, which is good for New York, and I tell you why. It's a different dynamic in New York than, say, Parks or say one of the other Penn National, one of the smaller smaller race tracks. Is that for, the first thing is is we're, we're an elite racetrack, and if you're not competitive here, it doesn't mean you can't go somewhere else. It doesn't mean you can't yeah. go to Jersey. It doesn't mean you can't go to Pennsylvania and race. If you're, and that happens a certain amount of times. We'll, we'll also a horse that goes to another venue and and needs our care that has been in New York and if their aftercare facilities are, are, are booked up or if their program is, is, is you know is run into, is stalled a little bit and they can't handle it, we'll take them right back. I mean, we'll, we, we're just here for the horses. But the, So the one dynamic is that a lot of horses that aren't competitive just in New York on the competition level can go other places, but also if you look at the big outfits, the, like the Todd's and the Chad's and the Kieran McLaughlin, and we've done horses, we We process horses through our program for them, but if you look at their pedigrees, a lot of them already have their retirement set. You know, a lot of the owners in the bigger outfits are are just buying a horse for racing, they're buying a horse for life. and And so they know that you know if they buy a, a four hundred thousand dollars eight hundred thousand dollars mare, you know it's not just her racing career. So they already have it set up for for breeding in the uh, at the end of their career. So, but our numbers have grown every year, and this year we're we're just about halfway through the year, and we're on a pace to to eclipse any any one of the years uh, with regards to getting horses to aftercare facilities. And I think that's you know uh, it's it's just more word of mouth and
2: comfortable with our. Well, you know, it, I'm listening to you, and you're so excited about it. I mean, that's that's the really cool thing. You know, here you are. You know, you're getting close to your. Actually, next year is your 30th year of training, right?
0: Yep, yep. September fourth of eighteen would be 30 years. That sounds like a good time to <laughs> <All right. laughs>
2: Well, you got another 30. You reached the halfway point. You know. Uh,
0: Thank, but, thank you very much. Oh, I'll like that you said <laughs> that. <laughs>
2: but, is it a career or is it a sentence? That's what I always wondered. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, I tell you what, though, I'll be honest with you. Handling handling the the take the lead program, and and to be able to go uh, when we were invited down to to the IR conference. In D.C., that was it was enlightening to see the other programs in the other states. Also, when the TAA uh, uh, were doing their presentation and they mentioned the the, you know the most influential programs over the course of the last five years, we were one of them. And I thought that was really terrific. They showed the Take Two Take the Lead program in New York was one of the most influential programs, and we're only we, we we were just putting it together in 2012 so we're really you know since 2013 been up and running and it's grown it's grown uh every which way and um it, it, it what's great to see is that the the horses when they when they go through the program and go through the rehab they're retraining, and you get the videos, and then they they send their adoption notices out, and, and you see the people that get these horses, and every kind of vocation there is. I mean, not just in the show ring, but we've got polo, we've got our thoroughbred out there barrel racing, and 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 making you know and and getting awards and stuff like that. Simple, we have fox hunters. It's just it, it's amazing to see that the world is starting to embrace the thoroughbred for more than just racing when their careers are over because as a trainer and as a horseman you know these horses run at on levels and you know from from the time they they stand up to the time they stand in the starting gate for the first time their their comprehension uh and and their their ability to adapt while they call them you know everyone says oh the thoroughbreds are all flighty well let me tell you what they they're as smart as a whip. they know they' you know certainly every species has their own range of intelligence. but let me tell you something. these, these horses, once they're in training they, the things that they see on the training centers and the things that they see on the track and then the starting gate and everything that they go through in a race, in, in training races in a 12 horse field in the wintertime or, or on the grass course with tight turns it's really amazing uh how, how intelligent they are and how adaptable they are and they're just a tremendous athlete both mentally and
2: physically well the resilience is the amazing yeah. thing to me you know
0: well I, yeah and- the resilience and their uh, and uh, they I am trying to think of the word they uh I can't think of the word they 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 adapt to our mistakes.
2: <laughs> yeah. I know so, they've I, adapted I think, to mine think, for many years. So I think the word uh, but, yeah, the word, I, the, the, word I'm,
0: the, the word I'm thinking of is forgiving. They they're very forgiving and adaptable and Hopefully some of the errors that we make along the way that they're, they're they're forgiving us for and they 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 go on about their business. And, and if we learn to listen to them a little better and and uh, maybe train around little idiosyncrasies that we don't have to lose sleep over, we're going to let the horse be a horse and then they'll they'll show what they can really do.
2: Well, and, and that's the you know, that's the key to this whole thing, I think. You know, when we have them at the racetrack, it's a, it's a different environment for them but with the aftercare programs, we're allowing them the opportunity. And don't forget, most horses leave the racetrack with only 20 of 20, 20 to 25% of their life lived. Okay, they've got 75% of their life in front of them. And so with this type of program, we're allowing them to still have a job, but also to be horses. And that's real, real important at the end of the day.
0: Oh, there, there, no doubt about it, no doubt about it. If you, and even even on the racetrack, if you look at, I always use Alan Jerkins as an example, because he's the consummate horseman and loved it so much and was and I was, I've been stabled near him at Belmont, and I've been stabled next to him at Saratoga for a probably a, for ten straight years. And the amount of time he's with those horses and out in the afternoon grazing the horses, just letting them be horses. And and he would say to me, as I was a young... and I, I never wore. A horse. He was. It was always he always because I guess he saw me as a young guy coming up, and I didn't. I, I didn't inherit a lot of horses. I had three chopped road, and that was my first horse. And then we we gradually picked up horses along the way. When I went out on my own, it was basically me, and my wife, and, and 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 Chopper. And but he, I guess he, we were growing, and he would he, we'd be out on our ponies, and he'd be. He'd be discussing this and that. And why would you do this? And He would ask me questions why I would do I mean, here's the best trainer in, in the, probably the history of the world asking me questions. But he, but he always said, let the horse be the horse. If a horse wanted to work in 35, let him work in 35. Just let him have his head. Don't ask him if he wants. The horse went, Don't get upset if a horse goes fast. They did it easy. And I always, had, you know, I always come back to that because I had a horse on firm success. He's nine years old. But he would work fast. He worked fast because he could, and, and not, he liked I, it probably. You know, yes, yeah. and he said it's not how fast they go; it's how they go fast.
2: And that's so, so you true. Go, it,
0: it, yeah, if a horse can work in fifty nine, but the jock's sitting still and he's just got one hold, well, you got yourself an awfully nice horse right there. He goes, uh, you know, most any horse can go out there and work in forty seven if you if you run their wheels off, but it'd take them three weeks to get them back out of the stall. But if you have a good horse, he works for it. Don't fret over it. I mean, he's ready to go, and he was—he was right. You got to keep him sound. You got to be careful. You got to watch your tracks. You got a nutrition and all that, obviously. But uh, but listening to him and uh, and have and having <laughs> having the pleasure and the 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 frightening experience beating him in, <laughs> in a Grade One stake back when I was younger. Uh, it was probably one of the highlights of my career, and, and it wasn't a firm success, as horse name has indicated, and we beat Devil is Do the, in the Pimlico Special back in in the mid-'90s. This,
2: yeah, firm, I, I, I remember that race it, very clearly. Now, as did did it, he give it, you, when, it, when, when, when you got back to the barn, did he give you the look? You know,
0: he gave me that look for about three weeks. Okay. <laughs> and then he started talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> but and, and, as as indicated was one of my aftercare horses here because in that race he tore a suspensory so bad that he had a year off ran one other time and then I retired him and he was back he was right here on my property with Chopper for eight years and because he was a gelding grade one stake winning gelding of 8 or 15 starts but he ended up being a wonderful trail horse, and uh, and and he also went into the uh, the thera- therapy business down in, in Kentucky, working with uh, uh physically and mentally handicapped kids. But but to get back to to that race, you know, that that horse, he was so talented. He could work. he he was just a talented horse. We had bought him for not a whole lot of money up in Canada, and he just ended up. he had, he had very moderate pedigree, but he just up being a wonderful horse in the winter time, had tremendous speed and and the endurance to hang on. And he broke terrible in the in the uh, in the Pimlico special. Six hundred thousand grade one were second choice nine to five. and he broke on his face and trailed the field going down down the stretch for the first time, trailed the field down the backside. And Devil is due, who's who's the he- the heavier favorite? He was seven to five. You know, he sweeps to the lead, turned up for home, and here comes my horse from dead last and run- ran him down. And we who, won the race. Who the wrote race. him so for you that have... day?
2: What's that? Do you recall who wrote him for you that day? I remember the race. I'm trying to think who who rode him for you.
0: Oh, Robbie Davis. Okay. Robbie and I. Robbie and I. You guys go back a long time. time. Oh, Robbie and I. I think we were in the. We were. We were. At a much smaller level, percentage-wise, Johnny and Todd, you know. Yeah, no. I, I think Robbie, especially Robbie in the Niro winter time, broke, you guys were killers. Yeah, I think I think we were in the twenty-five to thirty percent range for for winners for for quite a long time. Robbie rode Mossflower for me. He the only horse he didn't ride. One was of my favorite, by the way, one of my favorite a, mares. Mossflower was a tremendous. She, tremendous she was the pure of the blues, really right? Hard. No, no, that was stop traffic was secure the blues. No, okay. mossflower was affirmed and that That's was right. the same the same few years that affirmed success. And we we kind of rejuvenated the the Harborview uh breeding there with affirm and I had a horse for Ken Ramsey that same year that won a stake horse by affirm. So we had three horse three stake winning horses by affirmed in 90, I think it was 98, 99, but Mosslaw was tremendously talented horse and could run on the turf and, and the dirt. She never, she never won a stake on the turf, but boy, she, she put in some good runs in the flower bowl and the Diana and, uh, just was tremendous. And her, her race in the Hempstead, which is now the Ogden fifth, she won by 12 lengths and she, shoot, I think she went a mile 16th and 139 and change or something on the dirt, just a tremendously talented mare. Just couldn't keep her sound enough to have a long career.
2: You know, that's the scary thing. I think Rich. Rick, When you've been in the business as long as we have, and they start changing the names of stakes, and it's not just once <laughs> but twice they've named changed the name, you, know, you say, but, oh, "I've been around a while."
0: Yeah, yeah, I understand. I tell you what was a nice honor though; is that they named uh, they named a stake after a firm success at uh, at Belmont Park, and I thought that was a wonderful tribute to a horse that he wasn't. Believe me when I tell you, he wasn't underappreciated. But a firm success ran 42 times, and 38 of those times he ran 100 buyer figures or more, which is unheard of. When Un- you look exa- at that's what I was about to years. say
2: it is unheard of. Today, if a horse runs three 100 pluses, they're advertising it. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. He's, he's just a tremendous, tremendous, and versatile. You know, he switched off from from six and a half, seven furlongs to a mile on the turf won the Naira mile on the dirt and the slop and, and, uh, won the toboggan twice, won the Carter, the general George, you name it. I mean, I have a, I have a corner of my whole upstairs. It's actually not a corner. It's a whole hallway, just a, of stake wins for, for that horse. And it, and look at it. He's 23 years old, Michael blow. And I spoke to him, uh, two weeks ago. And he said, Nick, we got to write a handicap for this horse. 23 years old. And he's chasing everybody. around the field." <laughs>
2: Just yeah. awesome, just really cool stuff. You know, you mentioned Michael, and earlier uh, we talked about you know that woman that takes in horses eight years old and older. Uh, yeah. As, as you know, we, we're doing a uh, thoroughbred only show series here down in South Florida. Matter of fact, I live right near one of your old buddies, Tommy Skiffington.
0: Uh, oh, sure, old buddy.
2: Yeah, but in in. In the show series, uh, what we're doing is we're doing a flat class uh, for horses over the age of ten, uh, and oh, we're calling great. that the old old friends stake. And uh, you know, oh, that's well,
0: terrific. We, that's great.
2: Well, we we think that these lawn ornament type of horses, and God bless them, there's a lot of them. You know, it gives the owner something to look forward to do. You know, and we're, we're going to judge it. We're not going to worry about. You know those big ankles or knees. We're just going to be concerned about how this that horse has turned out. So, yeah, uh, you know, what, a great, have a, what a great what a great idea! Thanks. That's a
0: great idea, and, and to, you know it's it, you know to to tribute the old friends. Michael's done such a wonderful job giving those horses sanctuary and and been able to have folks come in and 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 see the horses up close and look at videos of their old races and. Uh, and things like that. I mean, I think it, it, it's a it's a tremendous idea. It's thinking out of the box, and uh, I think it's it's a, anything that anything that gets these horses into a into the the, the aftercare that they deserve. I think is uh, is wonderful. You know, that's that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about a little bit too. besides with the TAA, I mean. The exposure is one thing, but also funding, and it's a very difficult thing to fund something like this. And and they've done a fantastic job uh, doing it through the racetrack, whether it be per start fees or whether you know the stallion, the stallion managers have offered up, and the sales companies uh, and and whatnot. And uh, you know, there's a there's there's a good pension there, but. the taa and 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 their groups, and they have committees uh, that are that are working on different different ways of of funding this this for thoroughbreds and uh, besides just doing fundraisers and 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 things like that and uh, there's they got a lot of good people. Alan gutterman came up with a wonderful idea down there in d c and and I think it's something that that they can run with on. You know, getting the fans involved. And I think that's a great idea. It's, 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 the, it's part of the industry that kind of isn't tapped into aftercare. But I really think the true fans love to go to races on the big days. They're the fans of this. Because and this, I'm paraphrasing Alan. Alan said, so you know, what, they very rarely yell at the horse if they get beat. They yell at the trainer. They yell at the jockey. They yell at themselves. But the horses are their heroes. And I think if, if there could be, whether it's a race or a certain day or something like that, I think the fans, and Alan, this is all Allen's, I'm not taking any credit credit for this because Alan came up with this idea when he was down at the conference a few weeks ago in D.C. Get the fans involved, and I think they'd be more than happy to do it on the big days when you get the big crowds out there. You know, you have yeah, a part, part of the exposure of, of uh, the exposure of aftercare for these people i think they'd really really buy into it and see it's a great 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 thing you have it for you know for the horses you have it for the jogs, but but for from our point of view you know i think it, would, it, it gives them something to grab a hold of and say look i helped this horse you know this horse that that, that ran so many times for us and and uh, and they get to see them and through their their you know their their post race careers and stuff like that I think, but you know that's another challenge for for the uh, for the TAA and uh, they do a fantastic job with their accreditation process and there's uh, and and the industry is feeding in and I think it'll feed in more um, and it's a very very successful program and it, and Les you'll you'll understand it's one of the national programs that work, trying to get different jurisdictions and different venues to to work together. It's very difficult on, on, on many subjects. We all know what they are. But aftercare is a subject that is inarguable. It, it's something
2: exactly. you can't be against. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's,
0: it's, in, it's inarguable. It's a necessity. And it's something that the industry in itself needs to to help fund. And, uh, and I think that's why the TAA, uh, crosses jurisdictional lines and it does so, so well because it's a subject that, that is a necessity and it's, uh, and it's a great cause and it's, it's inarguable that it's, that it's needed because, you know, there are a lot of horses that are born every year, a lot of horses going to the races every year. And you know that there are a lot of horses leaving the racetrack every year. And they need a soft landing, and they need to be retrained for new uh, for, for new things on the horizon. Like you said, most of them are 25%, 30%, you know, through their lifespan. And they can do a lot of things, and they want to do a lot of things. They don't just want to stand out in a field and eat grass. That's great. For you know mile, what? The, they only need, need a, a job. Time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly, they're like, they're like labs. Labs love to lay on the couch, but my lab also likes to carry up the groceries. You know, he's got a job. He likes to feel like he's doing something. And horses are the same way. It keeps it keeps their mind sharp. You, you know, it's one thing. You know, if they have to stay out in the field, in and out or whatever, because of they've they've got some, you know, uh, arthritic conditions. So that's one thing. But horses that are good and healthy or been rehabilitated boy they really want to go out there and do something and it's amazing to see the different the different vocations that they come up with like i said to see a third but doing doing barrel racing and stuff like that competitive Pol- the smaller ones can do polo and certainly the hunter jumpers and the three-day eventing and and timber horses and and stuff like that. it's just amazing and it, it and it should be no surprise but it's amazing
2: no you know years ago i had a riding academy here in wellington We had a 29-year-old retired racehorse. And this old guy, he invented. When he stopped inventing, he came to work at the farm with us and we used him as a lesson horse. And then he he got older and uh, we kind of backed down a little bit on the amount of work he was doing, but he was still showing and everything else until he was 29. When he turned 31, uh, we oh, wow. had a woman that was taking lessons from us that was 69. And the Dressage Federation has a century club. If the horses and the rider are a total 100 years, they can compete wow. and get into this club. So here's that this is, horse.
0: Well, it's wonderful,
2: yeah. And, and he was one-eyed. He was one-eyed most of his life. Okay, At the age hmm. of 31, toting this woman around in the century club, and, and so when you talk to me about the variety of things a horse can do, you know, th- there's pretty much nothing they can't do. You know, uh, absolutely, it's, absolutely they're amazing. Right. Yeah.
0: It is really something. It's a, it's it's like I said. For me, it's been, it it's taken up. Look, it, it, I'll admit it. It takes up a lot of my mornings, and I'm fine with it. You know, I'm fine with it. I get done training, I get a phone call or a text, and and it, it's for you know. Let, let's put it this way: with modern technology, I can be walking a horse to to a track, get a text on a horse. I can email the forms to the to to the people that need the forms emailed to them. I can check with the aftercare uh, facilities to find out who has. Who, you know, who has an opening, who has availability. I can check with the van drivers who has availability to go here or there. I can check with the vet. Can you please email these x-rays? And I can do all that w- with, you know, with a smartphone on 10 minutes. And then by the end of the morning, we've got everything pretty much set up. Everybody's involved, you know, so it's, you know, it, it, you couldn't do that 10, 15 years ago, but now with, with, there's no excuse you can, you know, uh, People can get it with the with the modes of communication right now through either email or or, uh, or or text or Facebook or Instagram or whatever. And now you can move PDF files and 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 uh, X-ray files and all kinds of files around like that, so people can look at them now. You can get your you know if I need Patty Hogan to give me a, a, a an opinion on you know on a knee or an ankle or something like that or a, an ultrasound on a superficial digital flexor tendon or something like that she gets it boom unless she's you know unless she's in surgery she'll send me back an email with with her opinion and and decide whether the surgery would help in aftercare or it's not necessary or this is our percentage here and or there or the other thing it's just it's just been amazing that we've we've grown all you know as as the technology has helped us out uh too so it, it's made our made our jobs a little bit easier but a lot more efficient if, if, if nothing else
2: well, you you mentioned something earlier, and I'm going to let you go in a couple of seconds. You mentioned something sure. earlier in the show about the fact that when you're sending these horses to their their next home, the people have kind of a full idea of what that horse is all about, and so when they take the wrapper off, they're not getting a surprise, and, and and that's so important, you know. And now we can do that because we have the technology.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I tell, look. And people, it takes a little while for people to get comfortable with disclosing, especially when you're a trainer. And say a horse gets hurt or something, like you feel bad. And yet, you know. But but we need. I said, look, I've been there. I've been doing this for years. I've had everything. You know, I've I've seen slabs and I've seen chips and I've seen bows and I've look, I've, I've seen it all. And and I'm not judging you. I what we need to do is make sure that we have all the pertinent information. So that when this horse gets to the aftercare facility for rehabilitation, they're ready to go, at, you know, the, the, the minute that horse steps off the van. So, and I, and I tell our veterinarians that, that are doing the, the, the lameness or the soundness exam for them, I? I said, be conservative here. Tell, if you think a horse is is just slightly off, well tell me the horse the horse is slightly off we'll take some videos and do that and send it on so they know exactly what that horse is going to look like when he gets off the band uh, at at the rehabilitation center or if it's a retraining center you know horses you know horses can go right to the retraining center also if they're if they're good and sound but it it just makes it easier and people have gotten very much more comfortable with with me or Andy coming by the barn and and then having a Either a third-party bet, take a look at the horse. And it's just you know, it's just it's just a sheet that says you know this is what I saw and this horse is in this condition and and the X-rays are on file and this is what we saw and and and, and this is what you can expect and uh, this is our best uh, you know this is our best guess on 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 the amount of rehabilitation or or downtime this horse will need and it, we we could be off by a little bit but this is you know we we'll, you know we have the best people making those those. Predictions for it, and uh, that's you know that that's that's how the program works, and that's why it works.
2: Well, as a horseman and a fan of the sport, you know, I want to thank you, the other Rick, uh, Rick Violet, and no. uh, and he, the whole team. He's amazing. For, well, you know, know Rick
0: is Rick is he he has he puts in more hours. I don't know how he runs a stable that size that efficiently winning races and does and, and he and he's not only with the Abscare stuff, but he's, he's in Albany and he's in Washington and he's, you know, he will, he fights for horsemen and horses like nobody I've ever seen. And he's a real, he's a tremendous asset to the community, uh, the New York community and the national community through the THA. I mean, he's just, it just, it boggles my mind how much, how much time he puts into this and and he's, and he really deserves the credit. And, 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 and he's such a genuine guy, too. That, that's yeah, the he other know, part he about tell
2: He'll tell you. No he'll agenda. He'll
0: with you. Him. He, no, no agenda, and he will tell you exactly the way he feels about it. Whether you're a board member, a trainer, or, or somebody else that we deal with, he's, he's, his one agenda is care for the horses and care for the industry, period. End of story. That's where it ends. He, he yeah. just wants to see the industry and the horses and the people that the backstretch workers and the owners. He just wants to make sure that they are protected to, to the full extent of his ability. And, uh, and, and he's gone beyond that.
2: You know, a few years ago I'm on the clocker stand at Palm Meadows, uh, and he's there. And, you know, there are a bunch of guys from New York. It was towards the end of the winter meet. And that's when you guys were having the uh, workers' comp issues. And he's on like we two always, phones. We always
0: he's, have work. That's, yeah, that's right. Yeah,
2: where right. in this game yeah. don't you have that, right? But he's on the phone yeah, exactly. talking to this guy, that guy, talking to some trainers, and one of his horses works. It goes forty-six and two, and back on the phone. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, yes. incredible yeah. <laughs> focus. Uh, but we, a great guy, it, it, and again, yeah, I appreciate yeah. all that you guys are doing. Most two two important things. First of all, has the shoulder
0: my shoulder uh, I am actually done with rehab uh, official rehabilitation um, I don't think it's ever going to be 100% but I think that was that was what they told me but Back playing UST limited basis and hopefully you know by uh, by this time next year my wife my wife's mixed doubles team just made it to the nationals which is fantastic my wife Thank you. Yeah, we're uh, we're heading to Mobile, Alabama in November. Um and it was a great it was a great uh, sectional. She won the whole east uh, the eastern uh, section of of the USTA with her mixed doubles team. And uh, hopefully next year after my rehabilitation and my 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 skills come back, I can I'll be good enough to be on her team. If not, she she'll put me on the bench like she did this
2: year. <laughs> <laughs> and and okay. you have a son, right? You have, you have a son.
0: My son, Ryan, is in his third semester going for a master's degree in marine science and environmental management at the University of Sydney, Australia.
2: I guess the Skype calls so, are pretty expensive, yeah. huh?
0: Well, I, I, I tell you what, it, honestly, it's cheaper for him to go to school in Australia than it would be to go here.
2: I was very <laughs> surprised.
0: Of course, he didn't apply to schools here in the States. He graduated from BU, went on did some internships for a couple of years, working in South Africa and up in Provincetown at the Coastal Studies Academy up there. Uh, then he told us, well, I got into a couple of schools for my master's degree. We asked him, he said, said which one? He said, well, I got into the University of Sydney and the University of New South Wales. I said, what about Louisiana or Long Island or did not imply that in the state. <laughs> you think maybe we could have known that? <laughs> so he is—he's doing his thing, and the closest he got to working on the racetrack was bartending at Zero's uh, during the meet, and he made a lot more money than I did that year. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it sounds like you're really oh, proud of him, and oh, Rick, I appreciate really, you taking really the time. Good. You know, your schedule's busy, but we really, really appreciate it, and uh, All ho- right. hopefully, so, we'll induce you to come down to see one of our shows down here, uh, this winter. Okay. I, w- I would love to, I would love
0: to, if I can get my wife to get to, to break away from the tennis leagues, which are, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll year tell round, you what,
2: I can, we can do that. I can get reservations at some pretty good courts down here. Let's get her down here.
0: <laughs> All right. Very good. Let's take a okay. okay. lot. A pleasure. It. Take thank care.
2: And this is Les Salzman everybody. on the EquiSport Radio Network. We thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week.